0: Bruins Horse. This is Ed. This is Kevin. And we are back today after a big win over Colorado. And uh, before we, we get too deep into this episode, apologize for my voice. Uh, I was at the game Saturday and as you can tell, I'm a little little horse. So uh, I promise I'm not sick, just uh, dealing with a little throat soreness.
1: Well, you and 70,000 others, I hope, feel the same
0: way. It was a good crowd. It was a good crowd. Uh, I was thoroughly surprised. I know there was a lot of fanfare around the game, um, and it lived up to it. I will say, we're, you know, we still have our issues with our boring fan base in, in some doses. But uh, overall, yeah, it was, it was really, really fun to be at the Rose Bowl where it was actually mostly full. I think we haven't had a crowd like that since last year's uh, SC game, so it's uh, it's good to good to get fans back out, and it was to most people's non-surprise, mostly UCLA fans. I think there were there was a little hand wringing going on with amongst some fans thinking that there's going to be a ton of Colorado fans. They had some people there, but not not that many. I'd say it was like seventy thirty UCLA. It was definitely nice to
1: see on TV because we've definitely seen, um, you know, some not great things in terms of fan support and crowds and such. And this is, I think, more than anything what what the UCLA football program needs. It just needs some juice. It needs some kind of oomph to get everyone interested in it again, get get everyone back involved. Um, So this was a good step in that direction, albeit against, you know, probably what was an overmatched team
0: overmatched, but um, you know there were some some takeaways here I think I think the main takeaway for me was we somehow won a game where we turned the ball over four times. and I think that's a testament to our defense. I, it truly truly is a testament of how good our de- our defense is because generally when you do that, you usually lose a game against a good team. And even against a bad team, like, you lose games when you turn the ball over four times deep in your own territory. And that is what we did this game.
1: Yeah, you should never be able to turn the ball over four times, like, lose the turnover battle 4-0 um, and win a Power 5 conference game. Like, any Power 5 conference game. That should that should never happen. Um, but why did UCLA win uh, the thing that we thought was the big advantage going into this game, which is UCLA's pass rush against Colorado's offensive line, um, we dominated, and then some. Uh, we beat the living shit out of Shadour Sanders uh, to, to the point where, like, at least during the game, I, at least during the game, I felt bad for the guy because he was just getting knocked back, thrown around. Um, if this ever got to any kind of third and like obvious passing situation they didn't stand a chance Uh, it was just open season out there Um, Colorado predictably so couldn't run the ball because they don't really run the ball against anybody they got some nice speed plays on us again as we would expect right Uh, matching up some receivers against guys that they're going to be faster than and whatnot and Colorado did have some success moving the ball here and there but by and large you know once we got them into a third down we controlled the game uh, from there so the UCLA pass rush is as advertised, particularly against any opponent where it is clear that we have a mismatch in that area, we're going to dominate. Um, and that, to me, was a takeaway of the game.
0: Yeah, uh, we talked about the O-line being bad for Colorado. It somehow even worse than ours. And it is absolutely the case uh, for all the reasons mentioned. To the point where Deion Sanders, after the game in his presser, said that they would essentially go out and get more D line or O next season. Um so I it it was yeah, it was embarrassing to watch for the their sakes. And yeah, you're right. I, I did feel bad for Shadura at a certain point. I mean, it was just it was brutal to see. Um but on the flip side You could argue it was almost as brutal to watch our offense, because man, there was it's it's, yeah we're we're over halfway through the season now, and it's obvious. Chip Kelly, the offensive genius, has not put together a good offense here, and it all starts with not really having a quarterback.
1: Yeah, we have three quarterbacks right now, and none of them look, you know, capable of leading a top echelon. Pac-12 team, um, and, and look, like th- there's so many ways to dissect the offensive performance, but I think we just have to start yet again here. Just look at the first two drives, um, and so that's a, it's a total of eight plays, two of which are punts, uh, or, well actually one of which is a punt, and so out of those eight plays, I'm going to count them off for you. First play, pass, Second uh, second play is a run. Third play, pass, intercepted. Then the next drive, we come back. First play, pass. The next play after that, pass, uh, run, pass. Do you get where I'm going with this? Like, every time, it's like, we're trying to go 70-30 pass to start games against teams that clearly cannot stop the run. Because, like, what happened the very next drive after that when we scored it was literally run, 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 run all the way down the field, and the only pass of the entire drive was the touchdown pass. And we had a, we had a scramble in there and, and whatnot, right? But like to a running back, to, yeah, to, to a running back. So like, I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand what the need is to throw these quarterbacks who clearly just they 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 aren't taking care of the ball. None of them are taking care of the ball. Um, early on in games against teams that can't defend the run. Um, why are we trying to put ourselves in that hole?
0: I really don't get it. I It really feels like Chip Kelly, again, is outsmarting himself. We've said this so many goddamn times at this point. But it feels like he wants to throw so people don't stack the box against us. But in reality, even if they stack the box against us, they're not going to stop the run. I mean, that's been our strength all season. In this game, I, I will say it was a little tricky with TJ, not TJ Harden, uh, Carson Steele just fumbling the ball. Yeah, that and happened later.
1: So that that became a problem for sure.
0: It became a problem. I, I, I feel like there was some hand wringing over it. I, I think it was a good call to sit him this game after the second one um, and maybe let him just relax a little bit. I'm not sure what was going on with his ball security with this one. Especially when we have a guy in T.J. Harden who can actually, you know, carry the ball himself and 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 share the load. I it was it was definitely uncharacteristic. I'm not that worried about it. I think long term he'll be fine. Um, there was some.
1: It seems like a fixable problem, right? Which is don't slam the ball against helmets.
0: And it hasn't really been a problem up to that game. Yeah, right. So we'll see. But, yeah, it was – the most curious play to me was we have Colin Schley in there who we've seen play effective football running option plays. Run first quarterback. He always tends to get chunk plays when he's in. And for some reason in the red zone or close to the red zone, Chip Kelly decides to throw the ball with him.
1: Yeah, that didn't I don't make get it. Sense. That didn't make any
0: sense to me either.
1: And again, you know, it's one thing if you—he hasn't thrown many passes to this point this year, and which means he's clearly, as a thrower, he's not ahead of the guys that that we're watching, who all are turning the ball over. What, where, where do would be, where do we think that was going? So I don't know. I mean, again, maybe that was some sort of a trick but even if it was a trick play it was just a straight drop back pass that was going to be that that corner route um which ended up being a pick so that didn't make much sense the other thing that just keeps coming up once again um special teams field goals uh we can't kick like just straight up we can't kick uh why we can't get a specialist kicker a specialist punter get somebody on scholarship i don't know um Hey, six years on, I guess we're just not going to ever get one. Uh, but missing, but throwing points away on the field, I and mean, we we just left so much out there in the first half. And I I I was thinking this at halftime. I mean, at half, that tip that just it felt at halftime. And we've had some terrible offensive halves under Chip Kelly. If you go all the way back to his first year, his second year, at halftime, I seriously was sitting there and I was like this feels like the worst one of, like, all the bad halves we've had because this was the worst defense in the country. Like, statistically, like, there's no exaggeration there. Like, the stats bore it out before the game. They were 133 in the country, and we sat there at seven points at halftime. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty upset at half.
0: Look, it was a lot of shooting ourselves in the foot. It wasn't even really anything Colorado did. Yep. It was purely our own fault. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know what the path forward is at this point and it's it's it kind of begs the question uh, was this was benching Dante Moore the right call? Like I know Chip Kelly is maintaining there was some sort of injury, blah, blah blah. I don't think anyone buys that. Dante Moore, obviously, he played very poorly in those games. But he also played against some of the worst defenses, or sorry, some of the best defenses that we will face all year. It really begs the question, like, did it make sense to actually sit him at this juncture of the season where it lightens up a little bit? You actually have defenses that we can throw against and move the ball against if we just, you know, run half-thought-out plays that aren't uh, nonsensical. Like, if we have Dante Moore in there, does it really change that much? And will that pay dividends in the future, even if he's still making a few mistakes? Yes, Ethan Garbers is not throwing pick-sixes every game, but he's still throwing interceptions. And let's be honest, pick-sixes are fluky, right? Yes, he threw three in a row, uh, three games in a row. That's a little bit fluky. So again, it's like what? Are, what are we doing here with quarterback? It, it's it's not. It's it, it's just not stabilizing at this point, and yeah, it's uh, it's a little worrisome. I will say,
1: yeah, I, I think overall, I'm I'm I am fine with with the route, route. Sorry, the route that we took uh, with Dante Moore and the quarterback situation because. I don't think this was a situation where we didn't see all the quarterbacks play early on and then like clearly pick one. like like uh, We saw Ethan Garbers play in the early games. We saw Dante Moore play in the early games, and Dante Moore beat him out at that point. And then he played well the following week against San Diego State and against NC Central. So Dante Moore had his buildup period and before we did go into the very tough stretch. But even in that tough stretch, uh, Washington State at this point it's proven that they're not a whole lot good. Uh, And and he didn't have a great game there either. So I think it was the right call given the stretch we went through to bench Dante Moore. With that said, I think what has been proven now is that all these quarterbacks cannot be trusted to to take care of the ball. So, I mean, we're going to say it and then we're going to go into this next game. We already know what's going to happen, which is not this, which is, we need to be able to run the ball off the bat to start these games and build off of that for our offense and play complementary to our defense. Um, That's our formula to winning games this year, especially in any kind of road environment like like that we're about to go on. It needs to be a ball control, you know, play off the defense and then be opportunistic versus coming in here and just slinging the ball over the yard to start the game Um, and just putting us behind the eight ball. But I don't know. I'm, we're beating a dead horse here. We know that's not going to happen. I already know what our first play is going to be against Arizona. It's going to be some kind of drop-back pass.
0: <laughs> well, all right. Before we before we move on to the Arizona game, two more things about this game. First, uh, Logan Loya, take a bow. He had an incredible game. He might have had the catch of the year, that one-handed uh, catch he had on the sideline where he got his foot down. Um. Kids, kids balling out. Good for him. Glad to see it. Kind of surprising, I think, especially considering some of the other receiving talent that we brought in with J. Michael Sturdivant and Kyle Ford. But, hey, whatever works. He was getting open. He was moving the chains, and he was uh, balling out out there. So good, good on him. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad, glad you brought him. this up because I think me personally, I
1: think generally for those UCLA fans who are watching for this, um, wide receiver has been a frustrating position and a lot of that does have to do with the quarterback and the offensive line and all that stuff. Yes. Um, but even just who we're targeting, um, it's been a lot of Logan Vallea. It's been a lot of Josiah Norwood and it seems like, you know, Jay Michael and some of the other guys, Kyle Ford, um, Cam Brown just were, they're not even being looked at, uh, in the passing game. And, and I think that was a source of frustration for a lot of people, but this game, Logan Loya really stepped up and and, and really got, got to eat out there. Um, definitely the catch of the year, I think. It might be one of the great catches of the year all season. Um, definitely hats off because Colorado does have a lot of issues on defense. You know, Shiloh Sanders did get ejected eventually, but that you got him, you got Travis Hunter back there in the secondary. It's not an easy – those are very good players in their own right. And so – Logan Loya definitely take a bow. That um, you you definitely have earned earned this after you know just a lot of general scrutiny for the receiver core.
0: Yeah, and look, Logan Loya wasn't like chopped liver coming out of high school. He was a four star recruit, so it's not completely surprising that he's playing this well. I mean, there's some talent there. Uh, the The general thought was just we brought in all these other star receivers. It might be. Be tough for a couple of these other guys to eat out there but yeah loyos really stepped up i mean if you look at his stats he's our leading receiver on the year 34 catches 421 yards um you know ahead of j michael certiman he has 10 more receptions than him and 20 yards more nearly 20 yards more so hey it's working he's holding onto the ball he's making tough catches and he's moving the chain it's like good for him get him the ball more <laughs> That's that's all I have to say. Get him the ball more if he's playing this well. Um, last thing about this game, unless you have anything else, uh, uh, Kevin, those throwback uniforms were a thing of beauty. They should do that more often.
1: They really those should. Were awesome. They really should. I mean, after I saw them, a part of me was like, should we bring him back out for SC? But uh, I don't know if we will.
0: Now but- let's not mess with that. Last time we messed with the uniforms. Something bad happened, very bad.
1: And and that's that was my exact thought. And I'm not going to iterate what the bad thing was. We all know. Everybody knows. Yeah. The data Um, shall not be discussed ever again.
0: Yeah, yeah, we don't need to talk about it. But but I do. I did really like. It looked really sharp. Um, The whole theme of the game, you know, honoring the '54 team. Mm -hmm. Was, was really cool. So I'm really glad they did that, especially for a homecoming game. And I, I would love for them to do more throwbacks. Um, not that we uh, change up our uniform very much. I think it's been largely a version of the same thing for the last 40, 50 years. But uh, I would like to see some alternates. I think it's always fun, creates buzz. And, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing for the fans. So, But uh, these, these ones, I think, were very, very well done. So hats off to, to Jordan and Nike and, and UCLA for putting those together. They okay. even had the black cleats, which was cool. I love the cleats. Yeah. Um, do we do we really want to talk about the jewelry scandal at <laughs> all, or are we, we going to skip over that?
1: I don't even know what to, what to say about it, honestly. It, it looks like a lot of chains were stolen, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we're going to find out more. Uh it's from what you're telling me, security and stuff was a lot more than the normal game um, so if, if I, that,
0: yeah I will say there was a lot of security I, we walked by the, the tunnels, there's the bridge over the tunnels where the teams go in a lot of security around there I I don't want to say the players are making it up, but it seems fishy to some degree. Like, it could be, like, some weird inside job with either a staffer or security. From what I understand, I could be wrong about this. Based on what I've been looking at, it seems like the Rose Bowl uh, provides their own security. Um, So I'm sure they work with UCLA to figure out, you know, how much security, but... It's it's not necessarily all UCLA hired security and often they'll have PD in there as well. I'm not sure, don't recall seeing police, but there might have been around. But yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely a weird one. Um, also, adding more weirdness to this, the, this happened one other time to Jackson State when Dion Sanders was coaching Jackson State, so it's a weird 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 thing i've never heard of anything getting stolen out of lockers um or the locker room you would think that wasn't shiloh sanders back there the whole game he got ejected so where was he in all this yeah i mean that's
1: a good question i mean there's usually not literally nobody in the locker room like there's there are people there's there like getting stuff set up trainers staff whatever it is right um and and so, so that's one thing and then in a place like the Rose Bowl I mean there are cameras and tunnels and stuff like that so you would think if someone made their way to the locker room you'd be able to see them and sort the whole thing out so i don't know we'll, we'll let whatever investigation's gonna play out play out uh, and, and we'll
0: go from there yeah i'm interested to see what happens with it but we will see uh anyways moving on so we go on the road again up to arizona who we lost to last year at home in a very bizarre frustrating game uh, this time we have a little bit of a, a different look, Arizona, an Arizona that's really surging right now. They just went and beat Oregon State, who thoroughly embarrassed us. How are we feeling about this game?
1: Well, I think because could... I'm not feeling good. Yeah, well, well, first we have to talk about one thing, which is Arizona just handed us a gift because um, with Utah going down to Oregon over the weekend and Oregon State going down to Arizona. You know how many losses both those two teams have? Two. Two, yeah. And Utah, down the stretch, still has to play Washington on the road. They still have to go to Arizona. Uh, Oregon State, meanwhile, uh, they they still got a lot of their tough games left. right? So they got to play their the rivalry game at Oregon, and they still have Washington at home. So those two, it, it is very much in the realm of possibility that we could overtake them in in the standings, which is insane to think about, given that we lost the head-to-head against both of them. Um, And then you look above them, and this is where things get a little bit more tricky. It's really hard to envision a scenario where Washington and Oregon, um, like one of those teams, could end up with two losses to where you bring in some kind of tiebreaker scenario. And at that point, I don't even know what the tiebreakers are. If it's like, like it is in some other leagues, if it's come down to common opponents... Um, records and things like that, you'd have to think that UCLA would lose out. But the point being, um, you know, we have a chance to go sick, like, if if we somehow, some way were to run the table with a schedule that we have left, um, the remote possibility that last week got a little bit less remote this weekend, um, which is insane.
0: Very insane. I mean, there's... We obviously need a little bit of help, but we need to, we need to take care of our own business before we even go into into that uh, thought process. Yeah, right? You asked like, me how I feel about the game. I don't feel good. Hey, right? It starts this weekend. Is this is like the first stumbling block? Which I think, looking back at the schedule, this was like okay, this is a an easier game on our schedule, right? But. It's uh, it's looking a little tougher. I think Jed Fish has really turned this team around for Arizona, and they're playing good football. And it all kind of started when they made the quarterback change. They benched Jaden DeLora, and Noah Fifita has been really tearing it up. I mean, he's looked very good, and he looks kind of scary.
1: Yeah, Noah Fifita has done a much better job of taking care of the ball um it, it's he, he, he overall you look at the problem with UCLA this year every bad team they've played because I would say every game that we've won has, at, at this point has pretty much been against a bad team um we've looked very good uh for the most part and any good team we've played we haven't Arizona is interesting because I would say right now they're like, I wouldn't for sure call them a very good team or an elite team. I don't think they're as good as Utah, and I know they beat Oregon State this weekend. So I guess you know, you got to see say they're better than them. But I I don't know. Like it's hard to say if they're in the top 15, 20 level, but you look at just where they they line up statistically right now, they, they you would like to think they play no defense. But they're 43rd in total defense right now, so it's not as if they're just letting teams go up and down the field. And offensively, ever since No Fita came up, came back, um, they've they've been very good. Uh, no Fita is definitely, I mean, he's completing 75% of his balls, which is which is pretty great. They've got two like number one receivers um, with Jacob Cowling and then Tatero and McMillan. Cowling has 61 catches on the year. McMillan's got 48 catches on the year. And then everyone else kind of dips way below that. So they got two bona fide guys that they always like to go to the ball with. Um, and Jonah Coleman is, is a good back. So I, it's, a, it's a well-balanced team overall. Um, and we kind of saw that last weekend against Oregon State. Uh, balanced rushing attack. Balanced, we're able to throw the ball with real, a lot of effectiveness. Our defense is good. Um, you know. I, I, I don't see us getting lit up for 40, 50 points by any means, but I could see this being an Oregon State situation where you're not just going to sit back um, and give the ball to the other team two or three times and expect to go win the game. And unfortunately at this point, I don't see how UCLA can be trusted to go out there and protect the ball in a road environment.
0: We, it, it feels like we always have a turnover in us at any given moment, and that's not a good look for going on the road, especially to Arizona, where weird things happen in the desert. I just uh, don't trust the offense to actually produce enough points and actually, you know, protect the ball here enough to win this game. I think our defense will keep us in it. I think it'll be a close game, but ultimately I i can't... I can't confidently sit here and say UCLA's going to win this game. It's, it's unfortunate because it's... Again, we have a golden opportunity here to potentially sneak our way into a Pac-12 championship game. But I just don't see it, man. Like, there's... There's just too much... Uh, unsteadiness on the offense. Too many question marks there, starting with the offensive line, quarterback. Just to ever say, especially on the road, we're going to be able to put up points to win.
1: The other part to this is Arizona's run defense is the the better part of their defense. Um, 18th in the country, believe it or not. So this is where, it, like, first off, I expect that Chip Kelly will see these kind of numbers and say, well, guess what? We got to throw to open up the run. Um, and that's just the kind of stuff I don't feel good about at all. Like, if we're going to win a game on the road, it's going to be with the run. It's going to be with playing good defense. And if we don't do those things, we're not going to win.
0: Well, you know, why, why even bother trying to predict what Chip's going to do? Chip could look at that defense. In those numbers and they're like, yep, we're going to now run the ball. <laughs> it probably makes more sense to yeah. throw the ball. Like I, I'm not even going to try to psychoanalyze the guy. It they think mean... we're
1: going left, so we're going to go right.
0: Right, exactly. So you're probably right. I think he will, he's been obsessed with trying to throw the ball this season for whatever reason, even though we have a good, decent running game. And so he will probably try to do the same, but I don't know, man. He might come out with Colin Schley this game and do something wild. Fucking knows. Point is, I just, whatever he ends up doing, I don't have faith in his play calling and I don't have faith in our offense executing, plain and simple. And while our defense will probably put up a heroic fight, keep us in the game, Probably deep into the fourth quarter, I think ultimately we're going to fall short here, and then we go into depression territory once again.
1: well, I, I think what you that what, that last point there is is an important one because yet again, despite everything that's happened, chip uh, yet again has an opportunity to win back the fans um, to get people back on his side because you can if you can go and win this game. You have a nice schedule to finish off the year. Now Arizona State, you know the cre- huge credit to Arizona State for going and picking up a win this weekend. Um, their their first FBS win of the year uh, against Washington State, who has just looked completely broken since they played UCLA. Um, but Arizona State at home, you'd have to like her chances there. Uh, USC is a complete train wreck. It's a clown show on defense. Um, and you, again, Cal, you'd like her chances. So you know despite everything that's happened if you can go on and get a win road win against a team that again we're not even talking about a top 15 team we're not talking about going to utah They're not even ranked right yeah we're not talking about any of that like it's a solid team on the road and if you can go and get a win you have a chance to to again galvanize the support uh, get the fans back on your side can he do it it it's all in his, in, in his control it's on him
0: Right. You win this game, that game against Arizona State we see 60,000 fans at. You lose this game, we're at that twenty five to thirty thousand territory again. It's it's really not difficult to kind of predict. And unfortunately I just think we're gonna fall to the thirty thousand side of Arizona State to to end end the season, uh or is
1: because that's been the MO of Chip Kelly, like, you know, get a good win, and hey, maybe we can, we, we got a chance, and then you go come out and lay an egg, um, you know, remember, we, we beat LSU, lose to Fresno State last year, we beat Utah, lose to Oregon, then go face plan against Arizona, um, it's just, there, it's always that, you know, can't pull pull it all the way through to turn the whole thing around, and so, you know, hey, why would we be, why would you think it's going to happen now?
0: I mean, the other thing is, is we, we really want to keep our momentum up going into the, the C game. Like, regardless of the rest of the season, let's look at that as a microcosm. That game is always important. So we don't want to go in limping there. We want some momentum here. We saw what going in limping looked like last season against Arizona, and it, it ended up producing a great game. We were in it the whole time, but you know, going on the road is a different different beast. So, you know, just for that reason alone, like we got to keep keep stringing these wins together. But we'll see. Let's let's start with one game at a time. Uh, Tucson this Saturday. We'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a tough one. Uh, but you know. I've been wrong plenty of times. I'm usually wrong, so hopefully I'm wrong this time also.
1: Hopefully. Hopefully.
0: Well, it is we're recording on the 30th of October, and tomorrow is Halloween and more importantly, our basketball season is kicking off with an exhibition against Cal State Dominguez Hills. It's uh, it's finally that time of the year, Kevin basketball's back
1: this is always then. one of my favorite episodes I mean it, it was my favorite episode to do last year um, been looking forward to this once again uh, for the entire summer and it's here it's it's all here we get to watch the next iteration of UCLA basketball step on the floor tomorrow um, it, it it's gonna it's gonna be fun because it's a team that we are proud to watch it's a program that we're proud to watch. Even if we don't expect a whole lot this season, um, you know, it's just you feel good about the coach, the way that he's running the program, the way that he's galvanized the fan base. Um, we the, the fortress that we've set up in poly Pavilion, the consistency that we've shown over the years. There's just there's foundations there that you like, um, and 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 hopefully it all it all kicks on this year. But uh, it's a very interesting team that we have.
0: Very interesting. Very young, very international. I think this is a far cry from the roster we've had the last several years. Obviously, the backbone of those teams is gone. No more Jaime Jaquez, no more Tiger Campbell, no more Jalen Clark. David Singleton has moved on really the only guy from those teams that has been there for any amount of time at this point is Kenny Nuba is still kicking. Um, and Dylan Andrews was obviously on the team last year, but Kenny Nuba has been the, the sole survivor of that kind of core group that was been with Mick the last several years. So there is some continuity of culture here, but the, the, the roster is essentially brand new from top to bottom here. Um, and I guess my first question is with this new roster and we'll obviously go through the the whole roster, but who are you most excited to see this year?
1: I'm excited to see a Dembona. Um, and the reason I'm excited, I don't think Mick just hypes up players for the sake of hyping them up. I don't think it's ever been his MO, right? Um... I just listened to some of his stuff today. Uh, you know, he has media availability, and he did a Q&A session for UCLA Athletics. It is clear that he expects massive things from Adem Bona. Um, it is clear that he believes that he is going to be one of the premier big men of the country, all-American level. And if he believes that, then, then I'm excited to see it. Uh, he mentioned that when he talked to him about coming back, um, he gave him all the reasons why he should come back, right? Hey, uh, you can come back, be a first-round pick. You can get more money, get a guaranteed contract. But then the follow-up to that was, but just because you come back doesn't guarantee anything, and it's clear that they've put in the work this whole off-season. If we're going to go anywhere this year, um, he's our returning player. We need him to be of the caliber that Mick is talking about, and so for those reasons... That's the name i'm 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 most excited to watch, and even though you know I could give a whole bunch here, but where, where, where where's your head at? Where's your player to watch?
0: So I agree. I'm super stoked to see Bona make the jump this year. Obviously, we saw a lot of him last season. He was already very good, and you could see the light really turning on in that second half of the season. And I am still convinced if we have the Dem Bona in the tournament, we go a lot further than we did last season. I will throw out another name, though. Um, I'm actually really, really excited to see how Dylan Andrews steps up this season. I think this team is going to largely live and die with him at point guard. And so if he does not make the jump, uh, as we think he will, then I think we're going to be in some trouble here. But we saw flashes of Dylan Andrews last season. He is a tough defender, first of all. Like He will go harass the opposing point guard. He plays tough defense, and he he loves it. There were moments of, of games last season where he would get, come in and just inject the team with so much energy, and I'm excited to see that for longer periods of time, uh, especially on the defensive end. But I think we, we've seen that he is, can be a score-first point guard. He would shoot the ball pretty well. He... His mid-range game was solid. But I'm excited to see him kind of take on more of a leadership role and facilitate the offense a little bit more. I, I think he's a kid who can do it. He seems like a smart kid. Everything that you hear about him from uh, you know, fall camp, his interviews, like he seems excited, energized, and I think he's going to make the jump. Um, and you only hear good things about the kid. So I'm, I'm excited to see how he... Response to getting put into this leadership uh, role because I think he's mixed guy now and and our point our point and our our offense is going to kind of live and die with him running it.
1: Mick has always kind of had that one player every year that he knows he's going to have to work through anything that he's got going on early in the year. Uh, a few years ago, it was Johnny Juzank. Um, we, we were frustrated at large parts of that 2020, 2020 21 season, when it seemed like Juzang had a green light to do things that others didn't. But again, it's because Mick realized that he needed him to get to a certain level if this team was that team was going to go anywhere. Um, last season, it was Amari Bailey. Uh, early on, we took a lot of licks with Amari Bailey. He looked sometimes like a deer in headlights. And then really came on towards the end of the year to where, you know, he came in with took made that go ahead shot against Gonzaga obviously before you know, all the stuff that happened at the end there. This year I think that's Dylan Andrews because we like you said, we need him um to be that point guard leader on the floor. And I don't I don't say that to say that, you know, he's not gonna be, you know, playing well out the gates. I I, th- I expect that he is going to be pretty good out the gates. But if you hear Mick talk about him, he's trying to get him to be more of a point guard. Um yeah, he he already thinks very highly of his shooting, his defense, his individual play. But his role this year is bigger than that. It's to be the point guard, to be the leader of the team, um, and, and so on and so forth. To be the next great UCLA point guard, uh, to, you know, to in line. And that that's the. I I think we're going to see mistakes from a lot of players. We may see some from Dylan Andrews, but he's the one I expect to kind of get the leash, to work through a lot of it.
0: Yeah, and he has the benefit of learning not only from Mick last season, but also you know seeing what that leadership role looks like from the point guard from Tiger Campbell. Uh, I think that's valuable experience and a valuable lesson to watch and, and learn from a guy like that for a for a whole year. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 stoked to watch Dylan kind of grow and evolve this season as well. Those are those are. You know, obviously two returning guys, but we have a whole plethora of new faces here. I'm trying also to think: Are
1: being, there any other returning guys? To I mean, Kenny Nuba. Well, is we, like we got the Willie
0: Mack. Guys. Willie Mack is back, and I think Willie Mack will be an important player this year. I, uh, we, <laughs> so I, I know Will McClendon is a very polarizing player. We've we saw him play some minutes last season. He was clearly still very rough on offense. I think he played good defense largely, played hard. But one thing that I think has frustrated UCLA fans for the last year or two was there's all these reports every year, and by every year it was really only last season because McClendon was hurt before, but so all these reports about Will McClendon in practice and in scrimmages and behind closed doors Being a lights out Three point shooter You know people talk about Oh he might be the best shooter on the team And you hear all this buzz around it And then he comes into games And unfortunately He just Bricks shots Like there's no other way to put it He's, He just looks really rough and in this season, where we don't have a clear three-point specialist, I think, uh, I guess you can say Lazar Stefanovic might be that guy, but we don't have a David Singleton, let's say, this season, that where we can very clearly point to and say, that's our three-point guy, that guy is going to light us up and, and punish teams from beyond the, the arc. When you don't have a guy like that, you hope that somebody steps up and tries to fill that, that hole in his team. And again, is Will McClendon going to be able to do that? Is he going to be that guy? Is he even going to be a guy who can contribute at a high level to this team? I think with his experience and with some of the leadership qualities that he can bring um, and knowing mixed system and being able to, to have all that under his belt, that's super valuable. But can he actually play at a high level beyond just being you know, hardworking and playing decent defense? I think it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what he does this season.
1: So I think Mick, if you listen to him talk again, he would prefer that Will McClendon is playing a big role this year. Cause Agreed. I think he prefers it because he knows it's a young team. There's going to be mistakes all over the place. And the, the reason Will McClendon got on the floor so much last year, despite being a complete non-factor shooting the ball, was because he was a competent player. Um, he was a, he could handle the ball. He doesn't turn it over. He plays defense. He can rebound. He's, he fights tooth and nail against centers against Arizona in the Pac-12 championship game when we don't have a center in the game. He does stuff like that and I think Cronin values that a whole lot but 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 um, he can't be on the floor as much as he he was at the end of last year if he is just a complete non factor shooting the ball and I think they've worked with him a lot at it. Um, if you hear, you know, McCronin talk about his the injury, you know, I, I actually I don't know if you knew this, but I guess it it actually extends all the way back to like his senior year in high school, um, where like he didn't get to play at all. Then he actually goes and like blows his knee, and then he like doesn't play that first year. So like he had basically two years off of competitive basketball before coming back last year. Um, so I think we can accept all of that, but but this year what we can't accept is just completely not shooting, um, passing up shots. And I think they do have to go in at some respectable clip. Uh, it can't be, you know, getting side of the backboards and stuff again. Um, we can't
0: play four on five on yeah. offense when he's in the game, essentially.
1: Right. Exactly. And this is, I think, the interesting part of the backcourt. Um, I guess we can go this way, right? Backcourt, frontcourt. Because I think pencil in Lazar Stefanovic as a starter, who, again, make us talk very highly of. I'm interested to see that one because I feel like every – team has that guy that the the coach talks really highly about um and and sometimes it's a matter of like you know is does is the ability actually there to back up the the talk uh or is it that you know he's a great coach's player um so i'm I'm curious about that one on on lazar stefanovich
0: well it sounds like based on what what we've been hearing about him in spain and and some of the other practices like he does seem to have a shooting ability, like he, he has a quick release, he can shoot the ball well from beyond the three-point line, and he, he has a very high basketball IQ, and he sounds like he's going to be that Mick kind of on-the-court guy, the the coach-on-the-court type of, of player where he, you know, really seems to be responding to Mick Cronin's coaching, seems to embody a lot of things that Mick Cronin likes, you know, starting from toughness and defense, and. He's gonna be that guy that carries mixed word onto the court directly, and we need guys like that. Like you know, we, we talked about Dylan Andrews a little bit, maybe carrying that torch from Tiger Campbell, but yeah, you know, I I think it sounds like Stefanovic with his three point shooting and, and willingness to defend at a high level and, and you know being so coachable and receptive to mixed system. He's going to be important because he also has a ton of experience. Speaking of a young team, like he has played in the Pac-12 already. He's played basketball in college for several years now. Like he, he knows college basketball, whereas some of these other uh, kids coming in, either, you know, whether it's the internationals or the freshmen, they haven't have stepped onto the court at the collegiate level yet, and Lazar has, and so he, he's going to be important bringing some of that senior leadership in.
1: Yeah, so I totally agree. Um, and again, like, I, I don't think we're going to not see a good player there. I, I do think we're going to see a good player there. Um, you know, and, and how much of it is, is, is his role as a three-point specialist, to be a scorer, is he a co- the coach on the floor? Like, that part we'll see. But but I think we got our two starters and Dylan Andrews and Lazar Stefanovic. So that third one now, I think it's a battle between Will McClendon Ilan Fabloy, um, Jan Vide and Sebastian Mack. Um, you know, And two of those guys are, are combo guards. Um, I really don't know who's taking that second spot. It could be a just a, a rotating door there a little bit early in the year as we find out who can play. I think, again, if Mick would have it his way, it would be Will McClendon. Um, but can it be? I don't know. I, I think Ilan Fabloy... Is the hyper athletic? I mean, it looks like he's a six six, but like approaches six seven, um, with great wingspan. Mick calls him one of the greatest athletes he's ever coached, which I think is saying quite a bit there. Um, you know, you could see him having a big role, uh, a bigger role as the season progresses. Is he going to have as big of a role early on? You know, same with Sebastian Mack. Jan Vide is one that I think. Mick is very high on if you listen him talk about him. You know, can handle the ball. 6'5", approaching 6'6", as a combo guard, I think is is pretty impressive there. Um, supposed to be a tough player. So, you know, the guard rotation, I think, is going to be a really interesting one early on in the season because we have players to plug in. None of them, besides Dylan Andrews um, and Lazar Stefanovic, are, you know, known quantities at this point. Even Will McClendon, because of the shooting. Uh, and, and so I think that's just that's just gonna have to be earned uh, over time.
0: yeah, I so I think I think you're spot on. I, I feel like Jan Vday it sounds like they are trying to get to play more of a point role. If I'm reading kind of between the lines and understanding kind of what the coaches have been working on with him, you know he's handling the ball a lot more. he's you know learning how to be a little bit more pass-oriented rather than just a scorer. Uh, and it sounds like he's up for the challenge and he's willing to do it. Uh, and so that's that's a good sign. So we obviously, when Dylan is off, off the floor, we need a guy like that. And it sounds like Vide will might be that guy to step in. I, I, from everything I hear about Baz Mac, though, man, he just sounds like, a Cronin player, like, he has that dog in him. Like, the kid just sounds like he is ready to go to war <laughs> every single game on both sides of the ball, too. Obviously, coming out of high school, everybody talked about what a great scorer he was, and he's been doing that even in Spain and in practice. It sounds like he just, he shoots the ball well, but he attacks the basket. I mean, he, it sounds like he just, he he loves going at it. But what what was surprising me? He sounds like he's fully bought in on defense too, and he just is playing tough defense and wants to to stick to to his defense, his you know assigned um, opposing player and just defend his ass off. And it it feels like when we need offense, like he's not going to be a guy we're not we can keep off the floor for long stretches of time because he feels like probably our most natural scorer. If I'm reading between all the throughout all the reports and kind of news coming out, like he it it feels like even though, yes, I think he's gonna make some freshman mistakes, he might turn the ball over, he might force it a little bit. But it sounds like he's gonna be tough to keep off the floor for for long stretches if he continues playing as well as he has been. Yeah. And Cronin seems to really like him, by the way.
1: Well, I, I agree with all this. I think I fully expect by the end, you know, Sebastian Mack is going to be the prototypical four-year player that that just makes UCLA, you know, Southern California uh, recruit. Uh, well, West Coast recruit, at least. Um, I fully expect that to happen. I think what you said about the defensive ability and just the defensive, like, hunger and want to is – I think the one of the most exciting qualities of just about every player that we have in the backcourt, um, and and obviously this was this was on purpose. Uh, everybody was that has been brought in um, and is in the rotation now has a passion for playing defense. Ilan Fabloy clearly has a passion for doing it. Sebastian Mack loves to defend and lock up. Lazar Stefanovic is impressed with his toughness, if you read anything about what's going on. Um, Dylan Andrews, we saw him last year be a defensive specialist uh, in, in a lot of games. So that, I think, is an exciting quality. How the minutes shake up, how that all shakes out, like I, we'll, we'll see how that all goes. But just having that right there, um, the fact that they enjoy playing defense, it's going to be rough early on. Uh, I expect it to be rough early on, but later on like into December and January, you hope that those ingredients come together to, to put together a very good defensive team.
0: Yeah, I I think the backcourt is deep. There's a lot of pieces to work with. There's a lot of talent here, obviously. But to your point, it's gonna be raw to start with. We're gonna we're gonna have to, to kind of mold some of these players into into McCronin's system, and I think there's going to be some growing pains for sure early on. That being said, second half of the season, I think we're going to see some guys really step up once they kind of get a hang of things.
1: Well, we got to talk about the big people because that's, I think, the really exciting part of this team. Um, we got well, to about dicks. one of them.
0: <laughs> we talked about one of them. Um, we did. Obviously, Dembona who were we were expecting big things out of but man this is exciting because I don't I can't remember the last time Ucla had a rotation of like two or three big guys you know power forwards to centers that were all expected to have like first round type of talent it's been a decade at least who i who the last guy was I couldn't even tell you but Looney, maybe?
1: Who was not this level of player at UCLA, but but as a prospect but potentially, yeah.
0: Josh Smith?
1: <laughs> Definitely was a okay, I guess we'll go here right now. Um I love the potential for our big lineups that we could put out there, right? So obviously we got a Dembona, a Daimara's seven foot three. Um, and, and a full seven foot three by all accounts. Like, this isn't one of those things where you're measured up, or he is a legit 7'3". Berke Biotunjo, a legit 6'9". Um, which is interesting because it looks like he's basically going to play the Jaime Hakez role, but he plays like a post. And so no matter what, you're basically not going to have two posts on the floor at the same time, if you count Biotunjo as one, which looks like, you know, that's how they're doing it. And that, I think, is interesting because like, that's kind of how UCLA has operated these last few years. Jaime Hawkins has mainly operated out of the low post. Uh, it looks like that's what Ryu Tunjo would be doing. Um, so him alongside any center that's out there. Uh, I think you could do a lot of stuff similar to what UCLA has been doing, um, just relatively speaking, over the last several years, but just with a lot more height and a lot more athleticism. So that part is really exciting. You also have the potential for, you know, the Mara and Bona lineups and such. And I think overall, just the one PTSD, it's not a legit comparison at all, so, like, forgive me for even saying it. But, like, the one PTSD I kind of have about this was, like, you remember the 2011 team um, that was supposed to be, like, just all big with Josh Smith and Reeves Nelson at the time and, like, all that stuff?
0: No. Mm Mm-mm.
1: Yeah, you don't No. Yeah.
0: No, I remember it. We're not going there.
1: So I don't think it's going to be that. But but point being, I, I think...
0: Neither I, of those guys combined was probably uh, as athletic as just Adem Bona by himself.
1: I agree. So I, I'm not even talking about the athleticism. But just overall, early on at least, um, the spacing is going to get ugly. Because even our, if you look at our guards the way that it looks like a lot of them like to score is off the dribble getting into the paint and creating that way um and so that's just going to be a lot of stuff going on inside which can be done we've seen Ar- the likes of Arizona and stuff do it really effectively with Tabellis and Ballo and Coloco and, and and such kind of over the last couple of years we've seen them do it really effectively so it can be done these these players are all supposed to be good passers. You know, Berke, Adai They're all supposed to be very good passers. Early on, I don't expect it to look very good because you could see things like you know, Adai is a full seven foot three. What do young big guys like to do? They like to bring the ball down before they go back up. That's a long way to go down. You could see a lot of turnovers, fumbling happening. Um, if teams do kind of crowd us up, it's going to really rely on movement and getting the ball to the right spots to take advantage of all the mismatches that you get out there. Um, that I could see resulting in some turnovers. And then more than anything, I think there's just foul trouble that comes with this stuff for freshmen. And Adem Bona, we have really high hopes for him, but you know that was his Achilles heel last year. Got much better at it later on. So the a big lineup, I think can and will work at some point this year just let's all be prepared uh for what inevitably is going to happen the first month for sure if not first couple months of the year which is this could look a little ugly and let's just remind ourselves it will be okay it this will be okay um because we will trust our coach to figure it out um but we will have to remind ourselves in a couple months.
0: Well, okay, so we've talked about Bona a little bit, and, and one thing we didn't even mention about Adem, he's allegedly been working on, a, a, on some mid-range shooting as well, so we're, we might see a little bit more range out of him, which is exciting. Uh, it, it reminds me of the automatic Cody Riley mid-range elbow jumper, if we can add that to his arsenal. Pack it up now. Um, but I think Adai Mara presents a different type of big here, right? You mentioned he's a full seven foot three. He's not a lumbering seven foot three either. Like he is an athletic seven foot three. And what has got me super excited about Adai Mara is hearing about his arsenal of sky hooks and hook shots that apparently are just like unguardable. That, that when you hear that about a guy who, who's, who has the footwork to pull off that type of, of shot at this young age, I think we, we have something special here. And he obviously, there's to your point, there's gonna be a learning curve. He's gonna need to figure things out as he you know gets better and adjusts to college basketball. But, man, it really sounds like we have a lot to work with with this guy. I, I think it, it's it's going to be really, really fun to watch him in, like, two or three months. Because I think if, if all goes well, he stays healthy and gets better and buys into mixed system, we're going to have a really special player here. Uh, and hopefully, you know, if he's special enough to be a one-and-done this season, then... You that's know, a good thing. The sky's the limit. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it'll – I'm curious to see how he develops, but all, all things aside, like, I think it's going to be, real, be really fun to watch. I. It sounds like he's going to be – he's still a little raw, but I think there's going to be a lot to work with here.
1: Yeah, I think just overall, if you listen to Nick, it looks like he's let them just, like – Bang around a bit, hit and practice, be really physical because these are young players. They need to know just what the rigors of this game are going to be like, especially the international ones who haven't played over here and played college basketball. Now, that does come with you know some repercussions. It looks like we may be down a couple of players tomorrow um, to to start, and that's not even getting into the NCAA issues with Berkey and Adaimara. Um, which man knowing how that organization works, you know, who knows when we're gonna get that stuff solved. But you know, it, there's it's, a lot of hand
0: wringing around that. But I I feel like you know, makes a pretty straight shooter, and he did not sound worried about it in his recent interviews.
1: Yeah, um, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think it's just it sounds like a typical you know, NCA has just got to process the paperwork, the files got to move from one room to the other, and. I don't trust that organization to do anything like that in a fast way, but but hey, that's just that's just that's BBS. Um But I think he's he's let him hit, and it looks like you know Dylan Andrews working through something for tomorrow. Burke might have a concussion, and and I think that's all fine. Um, that 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 that's all fine, so long as we can get to those first few games. Now I said that I expected this to be ugly to start the year. What I my goal personally. You know, for the first few months, is not to lose any of those bad games. Uh, you know, this is a young team. We're, we have a lot of talent. I don't want us to go losing to Long Island or Cal State Northridge or, or anything like that um, the early parts of the year because you and I have seen seasons like that. Um, it is just so deflating when you lose one of those games early on. Um, just knowing everything that's there to come, it just feels like you can never recover from it. So, my thing in the early part of the year is not to lose one of those games, and then see what you can do in the high-major schools. You know, hopefully, you know, especially by December when we get to Villanova and Ohio State and Maryland, um, you're ready to win some of these games. Um, but you know, the Maui field, that looks like a loaded gun right now.
0: Yeah, Maui's gonna be tough. I, I'm not expecting a lot, but hey. We're just as talented as any of these other teams. If you look at just pure talent, sometimes that wins out. So I, I'm not hope, expecting it though. But yeah, I, I think, again, this is a work in progress and we need to mold this raw talent into an actual cohesive team. That's gonna take some time. And I think fall's gonna be rough against some of these, these tougher opponents. And to your point, we should not lose any of these easy games. But I think, you know, starting up a Pac-12 play and the second half of the season, I, I do hope and expect this team to start rounding out into some uh, semblance of a formidable opponent because the, the talent level is just too high for it not to happen at some point.
1: For me, I think the focus has to be, you know, the foundation of Mick and basketball, which is this needs to become a great defensive team let the offense work itself out all the way till march i'm i'm fine with that but you know until we become a great defensive team um that's the point at which i think we're going to start to turn the corner it's really similar again and it's not exactly the same but similar to mick's first year when we started to become a better defensive team it all kind of started to turn around um this team has the tools in a way that the other ucla teams we've had under Mick just happened um, No more talking about the the long athletic teams bothering us. Now we're the long athletic team trying to go bother everyone else. Um, And the tools are all there. You know, Dembona is there in the back line. Uh, Berke, by all accounts, is a pretty solid defender who is a good shot blocker deflections and so on and so forth. Mara is supposed to be a good shot blocker, even if he's not as strong, just yet to get rebounds. We talked about the perimeter defenders. The... The early part of the year, I think, has to be figuring out how do we handle rotations? What kind of pick and roll coverage does work for this team? Are we trying to fight over screens and funnel everyone to our bigs? Are we trying to play a little drop coverage and show bigs um, against you know, a good shooting team or, and, and play for deflections? Those are the things to, I think, solve early on. The, we have the tools to be a team that can just stuff you for 50 points every night um, or less. The moment we become a great defensive team, that's when I think the sky is going to turn for this, for this one. Um, the, the sky's the limit.
0: Right. Uh, an elite defensive team with this roster uh, means we will have a chance to win basically every game, regardless of who the opponent is. I, I truly believe that, based on what we've heard and seen from these guys and the talent that's, that's apparently present here. The other thing I will add to that, I know you mentioned let the offense figure itself out uh, as we focus on defense. I agree with that. The uh, one thing I will add to that though is for the offense to figure itself out, somebody needs to figure out how to shoot threes. Uh, I I think to your earlier point about spacing becoming an issue, I think that'll figure itself out, but it'll be a hell of a lot easier if we have some guys who can knock down from range so you do that, it, it, the spacing becomes a lot easier with with uh, opposing teams having to respect the three-point strike. So whether that's Will McClendon, whether that's Lazar Stefanovic, whether that's Dylan Andrews, or all of them, we need some guys to step up and hit, hit threes from a, a, a decent clip. And I think that will help alleviate a lot of issues on offense as well.
1: Step number one there is everyone has to be willing to take threes. We can't have anybody just passing up wide-open shots anymore.
0: Yeah, no, no more Will McClendon passes with when you're wide open. That was always frustrating last year. Correct. But, uh, you know, we didn't even mention Kenny Nuba beyond, you know, he's one of the, the continuing guys. He apparently, if you read and, and hear about what, how he's looked, he apparently has put in a ton of work into his body and athleticism, and has looked incredibly good. I, um,
1: I expect if, to see Kenny Nwora playing a role this year, especially if we play some of those big lineups. Uh, you know, in the early part of the year, and we do see like you know two fouls or you know three fouls very quickly. Um, we know how Mick likes to play his lineups um, and, and and what he thinks about playing guys with two fouls. Uh, so I do expect to see Kenny Nuba uh, uh, in some capacity uh, pretty consistently this year.
0: Well, Kenny's always been a guy who steps up and knows his role and knows what to do. And he knows the system. And, you know, combine that with a good work ethic. Sounds like he's worked on himself a lot and has gotten himself into you know the best shape of his life. You know, we might have a pretty solid player in here with a lot of experience that... Can help Mara and help even you know at Dumbona kind of grow as players uh, at UCLA this season, and you know that wealth of experience is nothing but a but an asset in my opinion. And you know, Kenny Kenny's always been a, a guy who's been you know well liked, a good cheerleader from the sidelines, always you know bringing that dose of energy. Uh, and as an older guy, like we we need guys like that so. Um, I'm, I'm glad to, to have him around, actually. I feel like there's a lot of people like, oh, why is Kenny Nuba still here? But I actually think he'll, he'll actually help out a lot, even if it's not necessarily on the court, but even from a kind of on-bench perspective, there's a lot of, of good things that, that Kenny brings to the team. So excited excited for him um, and hope he can go out on a, on a high note this season. I think it's his last season i'd be sh- very surprised if it wasn't but i don't know covid years have screwed all sorts of things up at this point
1: he's our last remaining player from the final four so definitely has
0: a leadership role. wild on. wild well season tips off tomorrow well exhibition but you know it's a good good preview um yeah I, it's i'm i'm stoked anything anything else you want to say about the the team no
1: just i'm stoked tomorrow's exhibition looks like we may be down four players possibly um so don't know how much of a look we're gonna get tomorrow but i'm excited for the season to start i'm excited to see the next era of of and basketball at ucla um and just overall happy that basketball's back i mean we we trudge through football season and I know we're six and two and whatnot, but again it's just this is a program that we're proud of, it's run the right way. Um, there's clear path to there's a clear pathway of how we acquire talent, what kind of talent we're trying to get in and then you see that all develop and nurture and we don't win every game, but it's just something you can be proud of. So I'm just I'm happy it's back. I, I, I know that we're not gonna be as quite like last year to start, but hey, I'm happy it's back.
0: I am also happy it's back. Uh, we'll see how this all goes, um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a fun one, a fun season, a little bit of a roller coaster, like we said. But uh, ultimately, I think by March we'll we'll have a an interesting team here cool i i think that's that's all we had for you today uh as always please follow us on x slash twitter you can find our show on spotify and apple music and every other podcast platform you can probably think of and if it's not there please let us know we will add it there we want to make this uh, as widely available to ucla fans as we can Uh, And as always, uh, we will catch you next week, hopefully after some uh, exciting wins in both basketball and football. And go Bruins. Go Bruins.